Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. If you are a parent with a newly diagnosed child with autism, how can you help your child who's just been diagnosed with autism? The online training course, Discovering Behavioral Intervention, is the answer. Real parents take you through applied behavior analysis in 10 step-by-step modules. Learn more at youdiscovering.org. We are proud to have Mayor Johnson, your special education super source, sponsoring our show today. The Mayor Johnson sale is on. Enjoy drastic savings on hundreds of products at mayor-johnson.com. That's mayor-johnson.com. Visit them today. Welcome to the Ask Stephanie show on the Coffee Clatch Network. I have a very, very special guest with me today, Dr. Michael Thompson, who is a psychologist and New York Times best-selling author of the fantastic book, Homesick and Happy. So, Michael, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. I have so many questions for you. We were talking briefly before. Um, as you know, I am a mom with three kids, and um, I have three very different children. So I have the ultimate rah-rah, I live for sleepaway camp, talks about it all year. I have the most, most homesick kid who has had a very difficult time away at camp and, and one who is seven and wanted to go this year and we're waiting until next year. So as as a parent, both as a parent and professionally, I find this topic of being homesick and happy a really interesting one, um, so I'm interested to get going. Well, so, it's interesting how many, to me, how many people have come up to me and said, Dr. Thompson, that title, Homesick and Happy, that was me. That was me. I was it, so homesick and that I was so happy I loved camp. It, right. I think you just hit such a note with, with parents. I, myself, my husband, we were both very homesick campers um, who were told, who our parents were told, you know, if if you don't finish out the year, you're never going to go to college, and you're never going to go away. And I mean, I wound up going away to college, two plane flights away, and and made it. And I was a homesick kid at at eight years old. So I think parents are looking for a lot of answers for for from you today. Um, well, I'll see if I can be helpful. Okay, great. So. I, I was reading um, Rachel Pomerantz's article in the, U- the U.S. News, and she mm-hmm. interviewed you, um, on the concept of sleepaway camp being a remedy for overparenting and the helicopter parent, uh, and, and really kids growing um, because of camp. 
And I think that that's really interesting. So can you elaborate for people who didn't read the article? It's a great article. Sure. Well, you know, this generation of parents is the most conscientious, the most loving. Educated moms are, have doubled the amount of time they're spending with their children in the last 20 years, and dads are, are increasing the amount of time they're spending with their children. I mean, I have enormous admiration for this generation of parents. But, but um, because they're kind of all in, they think that they always add value, that parental presence is always a good thing. And so I, let me give you an example. I was presenting in my hometown of Arlington, Massachusetts, at one of the local public schools, and I said, "Your being at your child's uh, town sports games doesn't always add value." And a mother got quite huffy with me and said, "But we always go to our daughter's soccer games." And I said, "Yes, I went to many of my daughter's soccer games, but I'm talking about whether you're always adding value." And she got even huffier, and she said, "But we're the kind of family that always goes to our child's games." And I said, "Yes, yes." I get that, but when your daughter is playing soccer, the, the the central action for her is the game, the quality of her teammates, the quality of her play, the quality of her opponents. And right. you or in her dad standing on the sidelines are not mm-hmm. only not really central, they may in fact be a distraction. Right. And the mom got quite mad at me. But for me, the issue about uh, summer camp is at the heart of things an issue of psychological ownership. If you're over your child's shoulder in everything they do, even if you're loving and approving, you are in fact taking away from the child's ability to feel this is mine. And summer camp uh, is belongs to the kids. And when I interviewed hundreds of children uh, for my book, Homesick and Happy, the, the, the thing I heard most often is I can really be myself here. Now, at some level, that should be painful for mom and dad. What do you mean you can't be yourself at home? But what the child was saying is, I own this. Right. This is me. I'm doing this on my own. I don't need your help. And and I can feel my own growth. And that's why the people who come up to me and say, oh, yes, I was very homesick, but I was also very happy. Or I was very homesick, and I knew a, a woman in Toronto said to me, "Oh, Dr. Thompson, my first year camp was so terrible. It was, I was so painful." And I said, "So what'd you do?" And she said, "Oh, I knew I had to go back. I knew I had right. to beat this thing." And the, today's parents often think if their child's in pain, they have to fix it. They don't give their child credit for the courage to want to fix it him or herself, to want to get over it. And being homesickness is something that many children are willing to take on because they get it that you have to beat homesickness to grow up and that homesickness is normal. One of the things parents should say to children is, you're going to be homesick again because you have a home worth missing. You know, if you love your parents... Homesickness is normal. Now, the the greatest homesickness researcher of all time is actually a psychologist up in New Hampshire. He's the uh, psychologist for Phillips Exeter Academy, and his name's Chris Thurber. And when I went to uh, write this book and I looked up the research, I found, of course, this huge body of papers written by Chris Thurber and his co-authors. And he reminds us that homesickness is not an illness. It's not a pathology. Um, It is not an anxiety disorder. 
and it's almost universal that uh, about 97% of kids report homesickness of one kind or another. And I think that's an important number for parents to hear because I think that parents feel many times ostracized and alone that they think, why me? Why is it my child? Everyone else is happy. Everyone else is is reporting their kids are doing great. And I've been there as a parent to say, oh, God, like my heart is breaking for my child. And why can't they be like the other children? And it's and it's you hear ninety seven percent and I think parents take a sigh of relief in hearing that number to say, You're not alone and it's no, normal. No, ever, uh, it's part of the whole and, thing. And Chris Turber believes that the other three percent are actually homesickness, but uh, homesickness <laughs> they're not admitting it. Um, right. Now the here's the breakdown that will be relevant for your listeners who have anxious children. Um right. it, 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 Chris Thurber found that of the of his now 100% of children who experience homesickness or report it, 81% experience mild or transitory homesickness, which is cured in two or three days. There may be a couple of nights of crying into the pillow or some real sadness around dinner, some real sadness mm-hmm. in the morning. But 81% of kids make a friend, get engaged, and love their counselor, and off they go. Right. About 19% of kids have significant distress. Right. Now, what's interesting is w- w- this is uh, a guy who wrote the camp handbook, Chris Thurber, and he's saying one in five kids has some significant distress about homesickness um, at camp. And and you think, why are people doing this if, you know, 20% of children, nearly 20% of children have significant distress? Well, it's distress in the, in the service of growing up. Right. And then you have about a third of those kids who have unremitting homesickness. Homesickness. That is, and that is where, and I could say, I mean, I have three kids, that was where my child was. And I feel for those parents because you, as a parent, you feel helpless. You have sort of, you know, when you send your kids to camp, you are saying to yourself, like, we're buying into the system. We believe that whoever we're putting in charge of our children, whatever camp we chose, that this was the place that we felt comfortable, that that if and when, especially for parents who know that their kids are going to have a tough time away, that that they're going to be able to take care of it. And that, yes, it may take longer than the average child, but, but we, we're, we're – this is the system, and we want our child to grow and develop. And it's and for those parents whose children typically have anxiety for not just sleep away camp, but for for life, it's really difficult because they want their child to do just what you're saying to grow and develop on their own. But sometimes it just takes longer, or it's not really as easy for them. It is not as easy, and for that six out of a hundred kids who have unremitting homesickness. Camp can be a struggle, but I'll tell you, both you and I uh, have both a very bold child and a quite anxious child. So my daughter, Joanna, couldn't wait to go off to camp. A a girl on the street she admired was going to a camp in Cape Cod. She only wanted to go away with Tanya. But my son, more uh, anxious, more cautious, um, I kind of pushed him out the door when he was 12 and said, you need to go to camp. It's part of growing up. And his mom had never gone to camp, so it was really on me. And then when I was writing the book, I came back to my son, whose name is Will. I said, Will, 
I've been reading these statistics, and I know you were in the significant distress group. But mm-hmm. when you, that first time you went away to camp, you went for a month, um, I said, were you homesick constantly? Were you in that 6 and 100? He said, yes, Dad. I said, you were homesick every day. Yes, Dad. I said, <laughs> and every night. Yes, Dad. And it never lifted, I said, uh, hoping. Yeah. And he said, not until the last two or three days, Dad, which is exactly <laughs> what Chris Cerber's research says. That the, the, the homesickness, they only see, it's only when they see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And I said, Will, why did you go back to camp the second year? And he he said, Dad, you wanted me to. Well, ouch, then I felt terribly guilty. Right. And I said, but Will, I'm not talking to a 20-year-old. Uh, Will, I, I said, you didn't fight me. Right. You could have fought me and your mother would have stood up for you. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, if you can't learn to sleep away from home, it means you have to live with your parents for the rest of your life. <laughs> a a and wise of course, boy. <laughs> I roared and knew I had a story for the book. So here's my own son, very anxious, um, with unremitting homesickness the first year. He went back the end of the second year. He came to me, now 14 and a half, and said, Dad... I get the camp thing, but this is the wrong kind of camp for me. I said, fair enough. What do you want? He said, give me an arts camp. He went to a wacky, lefty arts camp, thrive, learn woodworking, and now he works every summer as a camp counselor. So, And he went off to college and had no homesickness. He's and a homebody. Fantastic. He's an anxious guy and a homebody, but the practice that camp gave him in being independent, running his own life. That's what you want for your child. Absolutely. And I think that there is, I mean, I could joke, I mean, it happens to be that my son went at a young age and he, he his first summer was very homesick. And after, um, I must have even been within a week, he really did um, do great. And we were laughing at visiting day. The director came over and I had this, of course, big obnoxious basket. I was so excited. I couldn't wait to see him. And they said, typically, I would really be making fun of you for this basket. But he sort of deserves it. <laughs> I can't believe it. I would never have thought he would have been able to get over it. And and here he is, you know, really having a good time. I don't think he even cried at visiting day. So, you know, you never know as parents. I think parents here, sleepaway camp starts, and I know it starts in 12 days because my daughter is leaving, who is the ultimate camper, can't wait. And it's interesting, and I, I'm curious what you think of this, but with social media today, campers are really able to keep in touch with each other so much more through the year. My daughter is 10, so it'll be her third summer, and she's a little girl, but she keeps in touch with her camper, and they they talk or Instagram or send each other pictures all through the year. And I think it may make the transition easier for them because they have communication throughout the year and they are so excited and they're all writing it up until this morning, 12 more days, can't wait, and, you know, just planning what they're wearing on the bus and this and that, but they're so much, they're able to communicate, whereas maybe before there was no communication so it's like does she remember me is she going to be my friend this summer so what do you think about that well it makes me a little sad because i think some of the major letter writing that kids did in childhood was with their camp friends right um and and but we're all losing letter writing uh uh uh, emails um i i i do think it can be important 
for kids to maintain their camp friendships. And my son Will did uh, uh, through middle school um, and early high school. His camp friends online were a huge source of support for him Mm -hmm. uh, during the regular school year. Many kids experience their camp friends as being in a different category and out of the the kind of day-to-day popularity wars that they face in school. And their camp friends um, are, are special and in some ways innocent and idealized because they 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 live in that sweet They're community special. That, that, yeah. that camp is. And, and that's a, a touchstone. It's a reassurance. Now, what – and again, I think the camp friends are – you own them. Your mother doesn't know their mother. Your father doesn't know their father. And that makes that friend special. You had to make the friend, maintain the friendship, keep the friendship up. And, you bring a great point. To- You're absolutely right. Because I think there's a lot of, in our kids' daily lives, a lot of parents either trying to socially manipulate friendships because they want to be friends with that mother, so let, let's make this child. And at camp, you are absolutely right. It's you, you choose who you want to spend time with. Well, my first chapter in Homesick and happy, I originally titled Eight Things You Cannot Do for Your Children. When it came back from my editor, that chapter was uh, entitled, Off They Go. <laughs> so uh, she didn't like that, Eight Things You can't, uh, uh, Cannot Do for Your Children. But I say, you can't give your child self-esteem. You can't pick it, their friends for them. You can't micromanage their friends for them. You can't keep them perfectly safe. I remind parents, this dedicated, loving, conscientious, and wildly anxious generation of parents, that you can't do it all for them. And that at some point, if you want an independent child, you have to open the door and step aside and let them walk out. So I wrote a chapter about the friendship between five women um, who all met at a camp in Vermont. And they met and formed a group over a period of years the, the first two met at age eight, and then they became involved with each other and added more, and ultimately were counselors together. And so they went from about the age eight to 25. And the chapter is called, Oh My God, I Love You, which is how they sign all of their letters to each other. And I was talking to one of them about her friendships, and she was telling me how important and meaningful her camp friendships were. And then she began to tell me about little some high-risk behaviors that they got involved in in, when they were counselors. And she said, I can't talk to you anymore. And I said, why not? And she said, well, my friends aren't here. It would be disloyal. I said, well, what if I interviewed you as a group? And she said, yeah, that'd be great, but you'd have to get us a little drunk. So I invited five 34-year-old mothers to my house and got them a little drunk uh, with a couple (laughs) of bottles of wine. And they told me all about their camp friendships. And it is a special world. The caterer I had that night was was serving the meal so I could take notes. And mm-hmm. I said to this woman at the end, what do you think you heard everything? And she said, I wish I had friends like that. Yeah. I wish I had friends like that. Because uh, what campers tell me is that camp is like uh, a sleepover that lasts for weeks. You know, that it's, kind of and and I And I, I'm experiencing it with my own daughter, and I'm – feel like one of the lucky ones when I feel just what you're saying, that her friends have such a special bond, and I see it in many kids. But I have a question for you. What if you are that child who has a hard time making friends, who is that anxious kid, whose parents are calling 
me and, and, and people they know who say, what if they don't make friends? What if they always have a hard time making friends? What, what, what do I do? I mean, do, like, how involved do they, do they tell the camp beforehand so that the camp can, because I think parents here, they, they're sending their children off to go and do this on their own, but look, not every kid is, is a ray of sunshine, and it's not easy for every kid to make friendships. So what, what can parents do now in the next two weeks to sort of, do they alert the camp? Do they get involved? Do they not get involved? What's your opinion on that? I think it's useful to tell a camp director that my child sometimes struggles with friendship, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think you ought to pathologize your child. And I think you ought to remember that a cabin where everybody has to live together, sleep in the same room, change clothes, together, go swimming together, pass the swim test together, do the hike together, everybody's at a little bit of a disadvantage because no one is the cool kid all the time at right. camp. Um, and that there are always new challenges. You know, I was uh, many years ago when I was a lot younger, I was a, an, an outward bound instructor. And we used to get these incredibly cool athletes from high school and we'd put them in a, a pulling boat on the ocean, and they were terrified. And so, you know, a lot of the things at camp are a challenge for kids who are kind of superstars in school. Right. And new kids come to the top. So the, the camp activities reshuffles the deck and gives everybody a chance. But the most important thing that parents must not forget is that kids will do something for a 20-year-old counselor that they won't do for a 45-year-old teacher. Right. When a 45-year-old teacher says, be nice to everybody, they think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When a 20-year-old college student says, I want everybody in my cabin to get along, and they all want to be admired by that 20-year-old, they'll do it for them. Different respect. You know, um, the great uh, psychoanalyst uh, Eric Erickson said, all cultures have systematic learning. He was referring to school-like experience. But we mustn't forget how important gifted, intuitive teachers are and learning from older children. And camp is learning from gifted young adults or older children. And it's almost the only place in American society where an 11-year-old can spend a month with a 19-year-old who's interested in him or her. Yes, you're right. And, Who's and, not and going to intimidate them, but encourage them. Right. And they're going to say, I want my cabin to be a success. Right. <laughs> I, right. I want my cabin to be a social success for everybody. And the now, kids will often – now, it's not that I haven't dealt with some kids who have been come in cranky and abrasive and worn their cabin down. I, I won't <laughs> deny that I've, I've seen that. Right. But – I see a lot less of it than I do in school. Because right. in the end, you know, it's only for a month. It's not for nine months. Now, I'm just curious. Like, we talk about the 19-year-old, and I think there are parents, again, who if you have an easy kid, you're going to get great letters. I love Cam. Cam's amazing. Or, you know, one-word letters like like happy. You know, I mean, parent, kid, they made yeah. the kids write a letter. But yeah. Again, when you have a 19, you have 19-year-olds, and there are obviously group leaders and head counselors, 
but uh, primarily you have younger counselors and sometimes a little older taking care of some of the more difficult, anxious kids with like something like letter writing, which can be a really hard time for kids. Um, right. What do you suggest as far as letter writing? Do you think that kids should write letters right away? Because I know that was, even for my daughter, who's this really all-star kind of camper, I know that was her, her that was like her really her point where she got a little sad, especially just at the beginning, not, not throughout camp, but that was a point for her where she needed to sit down with a counselor, which I always suggest to parents, make sure they buddy up to a counselor they're comfortable with and maybe write a letter together because it's not easy Most to write a letter. Most kids require kids to write letters. Right. I, I hate this trend where the parents get to email a child, and it's the emails hand-delivered. And by the way, I love it, just so you know. <laughs> oh, I, you're, I, you're so wrong, Stephanie. I, I know. Don't want, I want you to write a letter in hand. I do. I do both. Little, with your scent. But the email, I think it's unfair to kids that the parent be in touch right away and the child have to write a, uh, a letter which takes two or three days to arrive. I have right. seen kids in camps keep their mom's letters that some often have their mom's scent or perfume, oh, and absolutely. they keep it in a little plastic bag, and they take it out at nap time or, or downtime, and they those letters are so important, and the emails can't compare. But what children and parents learn from the correspondence is that it's possible to hold each other in mind without immediate contact. And, and, the image and of I your agree, mom I hear what you're saying, but as I'm, now I'm talking as a parent. So uh, the, the whole email thing for me is that, and we can talk about the pictures because that's a big one. It's funny because as we're getting interviewed, I'm getting, I just got my email from my camp, my, my daughter goes to, and she goes to Tyler Hill. We get her email about the pictures and the photos and the YouTube channels. And as a parent, I it gets me I get so excited when I see her face and I see and she and and I know that you must be thinking oh they shouldn't even have pictures but you're running into a tough guy here I'm sure oh no the camps are gonna the 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 pictures the daily pictures thing from camp is is part of camp life now I'm not gonna stop it but this is what I remind parents you're seeing your child's pictures at camp adds no value whatsoever to your child's camp day. Oh, I, I would agree with that. I hear you. I <laughs> so think that, the do pictures you think are for so the parents. They're not for, for the kids. It is. And 90% or 95% of parents, it's really giving them a peace of mind. However, there are those pictures where you see your kid and either she wasn't in the picture and five of her best friends were in it. Why isn't my kid in the picture? Or she looked sad. Or she looked too sunburned. Or why is is she wearing the same outfit all the time? And those parents go crazy. crazy. This is the crazy making potential of pictures. Right. All of us have had pictures where we looked sour where we looked unhappy, where we hadn't put on our sunblock. And if if parents try and generalize from those photos, they're going to drive themselves crazy. So I, had, I was out in Hawaii at a school, and a, a mother told me that she had sent her child to camp in California. Well, that's a big deal. That's a six-hour flight. Mm-hmm. And she said the whole first summer he was at camp, she said, I looked at the photos every day. And she said I was completely neurotic about it. And the second summer I realized that had nothing to do with his experience. And she said, as a discipline, I didn't look at his photos. 
and I thought it was much healthier for me. I think when children when children go off to camp, parents should enjoy themselves. They should go to the city, go to nice restaurants, make love. They should have a good time. And I it's, once it's said their to time. Them, I think so. But the modern parent thinks you ought to be sitting by your computer, look, waiting for the camp photos every day. Please have a life. <laughs> you know, I was it's, you know, it's so easy. I know, and it really is easier said than done. And I, I mean, it happens. I guess maybe I think there are parents, probably in the middle, who are doing both, who are going about their business, but then seeing the pictures and just. I think either maybe they're so proud of their child. Like I know that's how personally that's how I feel. I'm looking and saying, wow, like she's doing it. She's on her own. She's. She's trying something new. I love seeing her rollerblade because at, at home she doesn't rollerblade or something like that. Yeah. And for that reason, I think that the pictures are cool because I get to see her doing things that that I wouldn't get to see her do. But I, I hear what you're saying and, and and probably know and agree that there are many ways that you're just you can overthink as a parent and worry for no reason because it was just a blip in time and already – yeah, you know, tomorrow has come and everything's different. And it was just this moment where you caught a glimpse of something that you probably overthought to begin with. Of course, of course yeah. you do. So one of the reasons I wrote a chapter about a camp that serves very sick kids, kids with life-threatening illnesses, mm-hmm. is because not only in my school practice I'd seen how much the Joslin diabetes camps make a difference in the lives of kids who, who hate having diabetes and fight it that being at a camp with everybody else with the same illness is a huge relief. But it also allows the camp staff to do things with your kids that, as worried parents of a sick child, you can't let your child do. And so I went to Camp for All in Texas, and they have one-week sessions, and each one is a new illness and cancer and kids who've had amputations and uh, phenylketonuria and mentally handicapped and on and on. I was at a week of uh, HIV AIDS camp. And wow. All these kids uh, were had a pretty serious diagnosis of a life-threatening illness. And the kids, uh, the chapter's called A Piece of Paradise because one of the kids said, this is just a piece of paradise for us. Everybody should have a thing like this. And it means we're not with our worried parents we're not with our worried grandparents. We're not surrounded by doctors. We've got camp counselors, and we're able to do some things that make us feel healthy and like we're developing. Right. And I've, the reason I wrote about sick kids is if I said sick kids, these very realistically worried parents who allow their sick kids to go to camp, if they can do it, anybody ought to be able to do it. And I love that you make that point because I think sometimes parents – say, oh, my kid could never. You know, I, I hear that a lot. Oh, my kid's ne- it's not a candidate. And and I agree. I think that every, most every child can in some way, maybe it isn't three weeks or seven weeks, maybe it's a week, it's something that you right. work up to, that you work up to and that it takes a little time. You do a practice weekend and then you do a week and then there there are ways where parents can even in, in more difficult situations let go a little um so that your child can be free and 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 grow but yeah, i have a question you can now, help your child practice with sleepovers and going of off course. to visit relatives or grandparents Although I do so that's talk the best to, practice i talk i do talk to kids who can't do sleepovers right. absolutely hate them and and i and i have a friend who whose child cannot but then 
gets to camp and is absolutely fine. They say it's completely different. Why? She goes, because there's 10 of us, there's five counselors in the bunk. The counselors are like mommies and daddies sleeping in the room, and it's not like a quiet, dark house, and they feel completely different about it. So you bring up a good point. I mean, do you agree that, like, if you even if you can't successfully um, do sleepovers, you can still be great at camp? Uh, yes, it would. It's helpful to have some sleepovers so that you you know you have the experience. But I've seen the very cases that you described of kids who find sleepovers tough and who 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 love camp. I've also seen. Let's be honest. I've seen some kids who are very good at sleepovers and get to camp and get whacked by homesickness that right. they never saw it coming. Right, so because they thought I, I'm so good at sleepovers. Now, here's a question, and because I, I, I know I have camp directors and staff listening, what happens when you have this kid that just can't fight the, the homesickness, and you have to call the, the the parents, and now the parents are involved, and they're getting the call from the group leader, still really homesick, and believe me, I've gotten those phone calls. It is heartbreaking. Yes, I, know. I know. What, what? do they do? How much involvement and how early on do they get a parent involved? Is a phone call important to talk to a child, for the parents to work with the child? What, what's your opinion on that? Um, I think it's important for the parents to let the camp people do it for as long as they can. Camp people need to be calling and saying, we are talking to your child about um, his or her homesickness. And it is pretty severe on the spectrum but we're working with him or her. We want to keep you notified. At that point, the parents should not insist on managing it from a distance because when that child gets on the phone, most likely, this is not 100%, but it's most likely that the sound of the parent's voice is going to make him even more homesick. Mm-hmm. Um, because well, homesickness... That's key for parents yeah. to hear and for, because I think any kid, even a happy child, when they hear their parent's voice, it's, it, it's a trigger. Now, some kids, a short phone call with parents just to hear the voice, sometimes that allows them to march on. But other kids, it unravels them. And again, it's hard to predict. So you have to go with the intuition and judgment of of, of veteran camp professionals Mm -hmm. uh, with it. But it's amazing. And, And then in the end, if you have a child who's had a chronic anxiety disorder or who's experienced depression or comes from one of those families, that, um, well, I had a fellow author, Doug Stone, the author of Difficult Conversations, and, and he said, everybody in my family had the homesickness gene, and we all were desperately homesick at camp. And I do believe there's some people who are genetically made up to react to novelty and strangeness right. with a kind of a hugely stressful reaction. And some of your listeners have that kind of child. But I think they can be... Uh, for the most part, veteran camp directors and the sort of senior management of camps have walked a lot of kids through these. Yeah. And they, most of the kids succeed, even though there's some nights of crying. Occasionally you have to have a, what Chris Thurber calls a shortened session. Mm-hmm. And you tell a kid he he's meant to come for two weeks, he's going home after seven days, and you say it was a triumph. Well, that, and that was, you were hitting you my question next, which is important, and I love what you just said, that it is a triumph, because it's not a failure. If you made it a week, you did it a week. That's right. Because some kids couldn't do it three days, and, and to end right. on that note is a good thing. But here's my question for you, because I think parents 
who have home sick kids struggle with this one big time. And, and I've heard it personally, um, you know, from friends and whatever. So your kid's so homesick. They're miserable. They're sending you letters. I hate it here. I'm miserable. Take me home. And so does the parent tell the child, I'll take you home at visiting day? Or do they say, you can do it. I believe in you and you're going to be okay. Because I think if you tell, personally, if you tell you them, tell them you're going home on visiting day, they'll they never think get they're going over. home. They'll never get over it. They have all the motivation in the world to stay homesick until visiting day. So you've absolutely, if you make them the, I'm going to take you home on visiting day promise, you're, they're, they're done. It's cooked. Mm-hmm. You've completely under. Uh, I hope parents are hearing this right now because I don't, totally don't believe that. that. And I have a situation currently that I know of someone who said, don't worry, if you don't like it, we'll pick up on visiting day. I said, oh, you don't, a, don't they, ever say that. In. Right. You they know, might as well not the child they is, well not and they're also the not forming a trust with the parent because the parent right. probably doesn't mean it, is just sort of saying it to buy time, and now the child is is believing something that's really not going to happen, which is right. is not good. It's it's starting off already not negatively, not believing that they could do the whole thing. I have a I have a young man in my book whose parents. Uh, made him that promise and then they went up to this camp in Canada and they reneged on the promise and right. he was in a towering rage at them and oh, he I'm said sure. looking back many years later it was the single best thing that his parents ever did for him was to leave him at that camp um, because even though they reneged on their promise and it's not a promise they should have made right. um, he the fact that he was able to make it out of a very tough wilderness camp um, gave him courage and mm-hmm. confidence. And uh, he said, let's be honest, I was a spoiled, overweight, whiny child right. up until that point. And after that, you know, I had to get, I had to pull myself together. Yeah, they kids learn I have to suck it up and somehow find some joy and happiness out of this. And they wind up doing that. It just may take them some Time longer than others. Right. So I have. Now, okay, this so, is a guy who had a lot of therapy as a child in New York, and ended up being a, a wilderness counselor himself and going course, to Ivy League right. college. And, and those so, are the counselors know, that are the best counselors because they yeah. really relate to the children, and they're the ones that want to take on the project of saying, "You're mine. I'm going to get you past this. I know what it feels like." And I mean, that's the count. That's the counselor that every parent is looking for in that kind of situation to say, yeah. "Please take this." on as your project. Um, So I had a mom um, the other day whose child is on medication um, for anxiety, ADHD, and the child doesn't want to take their medicine over the summer because they're embarrassed to go to the health center, um, doesn't want the other children in the bunk to know that they're on medicine. So the mom is just wants the child to go to camp and said, okay. And I said, oh, you know, you really need to talk to your doctor about this. I mean, socially, aside from even just, yes, sometimes with an an ADHD medicine, parents are thinking, well, they don't need to focus at school, so they don't need to be over it, uh, you know, be on it over the summer because it's like giving them a break. But socially, there are a lot of other um, benefits as well that doctors report. So do you get that a lot from parents whose kids, they take them off and then there's all of a sudden the camp gets there and they say, oh, yeah, we forgot to tell you, 
you know, we took them off their medicine because we thought it would be beneficial to them. What do you think about that? Yeah, I consult the camps, and I run into a lot of it over the summer. But sometimes a kid functions very well at camp off medication because they're doing fun activities all day. And they're getting a huge amount of exercise in their out of doors. And Richard Louvre, who wrote The Last Child in the Woods, cites a lot of studies that show that being out in nature can be the equivalent of being on stimulant medication for an ADHD kid. Uh, right. Nature focuses you, and m- moving all day uh, meets the requirements that, uh, of your brain, right, uh, which the, the classroom can't meet. Um, mm-hmm. I think to do it for the very first time at camp in an uncontrolled experiment, it's a little dumb. Right. Um, I would do it... Uh, I would see how it. I would have tried it on a vacation, on your own time. That is, that run the experiment really before you run the camp experiment. But I have seen kids thrive off medication, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's interesting. I have seen kids who who are getting inhalers every day for their allergy to go to camp, and they never go to the nurse for their inhaler. Right. And it, or they, stomach they aches, stand, nervous stomach aches. I've sent up tums. They come back. Full, not one ticket. You never had a stomach yeah, ache? Right, no, exactly it's fine. Right. Exactly. Because right. there's no stress, there's no pressure, yeah, they're free. Exactly I right. mean, it's really, it's fascinating. Right. So, do but you think I, that there is an. It's tricky to send with a very, with a kid with a very severe anxiety disorder or, or a history of depression, it's very tricky to take them off the medications at camp and think uh, uh, sort of in a fantasy that everything will be fine. I think that's a little tricky. I I'd, I'd, uh, I would certainly check with the doctor if you were thinking of that. Of course, absolutely. Um, do, do you think that there's an optimal age for, for kids to start camp? Do you think it's better to start Between younger or older? Between, Between eight, 8 and 12. 12. Younger siblings who's, who have heard about camp from their older brothers and sisters can go at 7 or 6, even mm-hmm. 6. But... Um, the the uh it's typically between eight or twelve. You wait. But eight after and twelve, 12 is even a big spectrum. I mean I you know, I don't know. I might my, my again, I'm gonna go back to myself. My kids started young, third grade, and I thought starting young, which I still think is I think it's great. I think that starting later can be really tough for kids. They feel like left out of a lot of the bonding that goes on with so many of the kids that start earlier and for anxious, nervous kids, that can even be worse for them. Do you see that often? Yes, I or And yeah. I think it's if you try and send a kid to camp uh, at 13 or 14, it's, it's almost hopeless. Um, and I also think many of these kids that are starting later are parents that are anxious to send their kids. It's not that the child doesn't want to go. It's just that they haven't been encouraged at home because their parents – don't want to let them go. No, child sickness is as big a problem as homesickness these days. <laughs> I, I imagine that doing, it is. What parents are doing very often, instead of sending their child to a general camp for a month, where they have an all-around camping experience, experience of community and friendship building, parents are putting them in three one-week skills camps. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in the Nike tennis camp, we're in the this and that. And it's not that there aren't good people at all of those, but to me, camp is a psychological experience. Mm-hmm. And being popped in and out of three different trainings is not the same experience 
as being in a general oh, camp a family, for, a for, unit. for one month. Yes, because when camp works best, it is, a, it is about community and character building. And what is learning to live with people you love and learning to live with people you don't love that much. Right. And choosing your activities and going with what you like. And, and you know, kids have to be there long enough to to begin to refine their own identities. I, I write in the book that uh, identity formation is one of the big payoffs at camp. But I'll give you an example of my daughter, Joanna, who went to a general camp in Vermont, and we paid a hefty premium for her to do horseback riding because she'd been doing horseback riding at home. And it's expensive, and mm-hmm. but she wanted to do it. We sent her off for this month, and she came back, and I said, uh, how was camp? She said, okay. I said, how was the horseback riding? She said, I didn't do it. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean you didn't do it? We paid extra money. And she Too said, busy. yeah, but I didn't, I didn't like the counselor. And I said, but oh, Joanna, that was a lot of extra money. She said, I really didn't like the counselor. Right. I said, so what would you do? And she said, I sailed. I loved the counselor. And we sailed every day, and we were out on the lake. And my daughter, to this day, she's 28, um, and, and, and the mother of my grandchild, she will, she will say she's the best sailor in the family. And she <laughs> is. She spent the summer with somebody she chose out right. on the lake learning to sail. That inspired her. Inspired her, and she gave up horseback riding, which wasn't bad for our budget in the end, <laughs> um, because horses are expensive. But it's when kids go off, they make an independent decision. See, if I'd been standing there over her shoulder, I would have insisted she do horse horseback, horseback riding. Horse riding, riding. I put my right. money in there, right? Right, of course. But I wasn't, and she made it a choice. And the great American psychiatrist Thomas Zaz say says that identity is a result of what we choose and what we choose not to do. And when our kids go to camps that give them choices, then they get to define who they are and who they want to be with. And if we were there, we'd mess with that. Uh, we're parents. Right, and we're trying to guide our children on a path that we believe is best for them. But I think you're right when you are away at camp. There's just so much for children to find out about themselves and what they like and what they dislike. It's it's just really all part of the process. Which is why kids say to me, I can really be myself here. And I think right. they're talking about And also befriend children that really maybe they wouldn't be friends with at home. Right. And learn about different children that they just were put in a bunk with, like you said, and parents don't get to choose who their kids are going to be with. And it's it, there is something very special about that. So I had a story. A fellow told me that he went to camp with a guy um, and who had a particular – he learned his name at camp. And then the boy invited him to his bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. And he got to his bar mitzvah and realized that everybody at this boy's school knew him by the, a different name. The boy had renamed himself. He'd used his uh, nickname of his middle name. But he'd renamed himself for camp. Now, I mean, that's identity well, formation. It's uh, so he, he, funny it's, that you say that. I, I Because my, my own child, the homesick one, who happened to have had a really wonderful summer, his first summer after being homesick, his camp counselor gave him, he's a, he's a rapper, he's a 12-year-old rapper, and he gave his counselor, because 
I said, I know your camp counselor, and he remembers. He goes, yeah, my counselor named him. His name was Ben. They called him B. Weezy. And he now is like this kid who has this name, B. Weezy. How many years later, even though he was homesick at camp, he will never forget his camp counselor named him, and it stuck with him, and it still is. Three years later, four years, I think four years later, that his, his name is Beweezy. His friends at school now call him it really. So there are so, it, it's the, things like the name and things like different things that camp counselors come up with. Kids, your, your parent isn't coming up with that. A teacher isn't coming up with that. It's very interesting that you bring that up. Yeah. Yep. That's all identity formation. And your parents can't hand you an identity. They can't hand you independence, and they can't hand you an identity. An identity is, as Thomas Oz, whom I've already quoted, uh, uh, Thomas Oz, identity isn't something you find. It's something you create. And I think camp can be a big part of identity creation. Um, So it's it's so true, and I think parents, so their kids go to camp, and this is a good way for us to sort of, Unfortunately, end the conversation because I think I could talk to you about this for hours and hours. It's very interesting. <laughs> we've run, we've run a little over time, haven't we? Yes, definitely. we have. But I think this is a good way to end because um, I think parents, so their children are so successful. They're they're just they, now now these children, some of them, these very anxious children or children struggling with ADD or OCD, now many of them go to camp and they succeed and they're coming back and all of a sudden they're. You, they they go to visiting day. They hear their counselors. They're making their beds. They have these these camp names. They have these new friendships. They're they're putting away their plates in the dining room. They're doing everything. So how long do do parents expect this to really go on at home for? Oh no no, but three to three to six weeks maximum. Then they were. I, I thought you were going to say three to six days. Just so you well, know. that's right. It depends. Um, but no, they go back home and they regress. They're less, they're less grown up at home. I mean, this is something we have to understand about our parenting. This is the, the downside of parenting because we know and love our children so much and because it's easier to put your child's plates in the sink than go get the child and have her or him put their plates in the sink. We do a lot of stuff for them that we shouldn't be doing. And, and, um, I think I wrote a piece in the New York Times Motherload blog last year saying um, uh, uh, camps can outparent parents because I've seen 11-year-old boys get up, race to the dining hall to set the table and you mop the table at the end. Yep, and, you said it and well. They, and, uh, and, you know, we we just do that for our kids. And it's not great that we do. Right. Um, and our, so our kids go to camp and they learn some responsibility and some skills uh, that we need them to do. You know, when my son was off to college, um, he knew how to do laundry. He knew how to take care of himself. And he had a, a freshman roommate who had never done anything for himself. And the kid didn't make it to his freshman year. Right. And I, I, I think it's important. to. I think that's important because, you know, you're not just talking about – Camp, you're setting yourselves up for your kids' college life and for adulthood. And it is interesting to see kids, um, they get to camp and they sort of fall into this pattern that um, we hope that our children will be able to do. And I know I always say my kids, all of a sudden they're making their bed. I, I can't believe it. And it doesn't last long, but it is really nice to see them do it and to know can, that they can, have the potential to do it. Can I tell one final story? Yeah. 
Are you we we out of time here? No, no, tell, tell. All right. So I consult to a, a canoeing camp in uh, northern Ontario, and the the camp is a is a trip camp. So you get there and you pack your bags and you go out on a canoeing trip. And I always want to see the eleven year olds when they come back from a five day trip in the wilderness, in the Canadian wilderness, and they all stand up at the campfire and they tell the story of their trip. And the kids are all saying, oh, we got stuck in the mud on this portage, and the mosquitoes were terrible, and then we were out on the lake, and the lightning came, and it poured rain, and we had to rush for shore, and we tried to put up a tarpaulin, and it didn't work, so we couldn't make a fire, and we had to eat our dinner cold, and they have these giant grins on their face. They yeah. all are radiating how triumphant they are. They all talk about discomfort, the kind of discomforts your parents would have saved you from. But there were no parents there, and so they triumphed. They they managed, they surmounted, they triumphed. And they come back and they tell these stories, and they look so strong and happy and like suddenly grown up because they faced nature and they won. And you can't get that in a suburban childhood. Right. You can only get that at camp. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. There's something very special about it. And I think, and you and I were talking about this before the interview, um, in, in sort of closing up for today, and I, like I said, we could go on forever, but I think that parents of children, all types of children, you made this decision. You are putting faith in the, the camp you chose, the, the, the staff, the counselors, the directors, and now you just sort of have to go with it because it's stories like those that say to you, your children need to experience life without you doing things for them, and especially for children who are more anxious and have other struggles, we really need to let them to let them struggle and let them right. go out on their own because that's normal and it's okay and it's more difficult for the parent whose child is struggling more it's still okay, and I know that you agree with that, that it's still okay for them to to fail a little at the beginning because in the end, the feeling that they're going to get is so, so important, and, and it's going to take them very far, the memories that they're going to make of getting through that difficult time um, and hopefully continuing on to be able to enjoy many summers of just that very blip, that small blip in time where things are so different from their everyday life is really very special. Yes. So, well, I thank you so much for for your stories today and your wisdom and your expertise. And I have a feeling that there are going to be a lot of parents and grandparents and staff sharing this email um, around over the next few weeks, and especially even while their children are at, at camp and they need that little reminder to say, you know, this is what's going to be during the phone call, or this is what yeah, it's going to they be. Should just, they should save it, and if they get too nervous when their child's at camp, they should listen to this. And if they get too super nervous, they should buy my book and read it. Absolutely. Um, so can you tell everybody where um, what, what your website is? And I know that your book is on there and other wonderful books that you have. Well, Michael Thompson dash phd.com is my website. The book is Homesick and Happy, How Time Away from Parents Can Help a Child Grow. And I think it will help you calm down if you 
uh, have gotten very anxious about sending your child to camp. I definitely agree. It's an excellent book as a mother myself of three children who are campers and one almost camper. Uh, it's a fantastic book. And I have to say, you definitely were one of my favorite people to interview. I loved speaking with you. Thanks, you really, You really have a hold on this whole summer camp, Homesick and Happy. You couldn't have said it better. I love the title. Um, so I really am grateful to have you here with me today. And um, for those of you listening, the interview will be on both uh, the Coffee Clatch website, www.thecoffeeclatch.com. It will be on Blog Talk Radio, and it will also be on my Facebook page, Ask Stephanie. And um, I will be tweeting about it, and um, it will also be on my website, www.askstephanie.com. And you'll be able to get more information about Dr. Thompson and the book on his website as well. So thank you so much for being with us, and have a wonderful summer yourself. Yes. Okay, thanks so much. Goodbye. Bye, Stephanie.